Good morning. It's good to be together. I want to kind of quickly just have you guys, if you don't have a Bible, uh, could you get up and somebody, uh, or like pretend ushers or fake ushers, or we, I mentally made you an usher. Let's pass out Bibles. Does that make sense? Uh, raise your hand if you need a Bible. You'll need one this morning. Uh, you may think, oh my gosh, I'm going to be embarrassed because he's going to say this book like Malachi and I'm not going to wear it. I'm going to give you page numbers. You will all look like experts in the Bible. I'll just, I'll call out page numbers. How's that? So you're going to want a Bible. If you have a digital one, uh, you could do that. I'm just going to trust that you're not checking your Facebook page. Um, you can tweet out comments if you'd like. I mean, that's legal, but uh, you're going to need a Bible. So just raise your hands and get a Bible in your hand. This guy right here, he needs one. There you go. Raise it up high. Some up here in the front. Everybody needs a Bible. Right here. Got a couple up here, you guys. We need some people up front in here. They're like half razors. You guys are like, you got to get it up there. You just, this won't, it won't work in the room. Okay, now... If you don't have a Bible at home, I'm going to encourage you to take this home. It's yours. It's a gift. But I wanted to give you a little bit of overview of why. As we started to look at what the series should be in the summer, one of, one of the challenges in Wisconsin is um, it's similar to when, if you ever turned a light on in a room, I know Danny and I were in Haiti in a hotel room and we're actually in the Dominican Republic before we crossed the border, but I remember we turned on the light and like large mammals called cockroaches were like fleeing for their lives. Actually, we should have been fleeing. Um, I tell you, in Wisconsin, once the sun comes out, everybody flees, right, to, my gosh, sun cabins. How many of you have cabins? Okay, really raise your hand because I want to know who I'm asking to have their cabin for the summer. Okay, so... Uh, but summer here is really interesting, and it's a challenge because we've recognized that because of our culture and the way we work with winter, we want to get out and play, and that's absolutely free, and you could do that. But we said, how do we do a series this summer that keeps people connected? One of the things we do is our live stream. You can, at any point, and we're going to encourage you as a family, watch the services. We're going to do 10 weeks of what we're calling a series called Revealed. Now, why would we do this Revealed series? Look back to the future. Some of you think of Back to the Future and all the different Huey Lewis in the news or whatever it is, uh, songs and all that. We wanted a way to re-inspire you about your Bible. Over the six years here, but really over 20 years in ministry, I would say to you, there is a common theme when I speak with people, whether in my office or for coffee, about spiritual direction or counseling or just some sort of conversation about their journey. It could be about their marriage. It could be about an ethical decision at work. All of that, if I ask this one question, are you reading your Bible? Almost, again, almost 100%, it's no or not enough. 
I need to tell you this morning that if, if you don't know this already, we are a Bible-believing church. We would, here at Community Church, say both it's an inspired and inherent word of God. Because of that, we've been left this book and we would recommend that you don't just count on Sunday for to get some teaching and then leave, but that you would be inspired and hungry for this book. Now, one of the reasons, a few of the reasons, uh, when I ask people why don't they read, first will come off as saying, well, I'm too busy, I don't have enough time. And I would say, you don't have, you're too busy not to be reading. You, you should be reading, just because of the pace of your life. Uh, that won't, let's just put it this way, give an excuse list of like, you know, top 10 excuses you could give God that might work. It's like trying to get out of a traffic ticket. Saying I was too busy won't be good for the creator. I'll just, just let you have that one for free. Uh, the other one I've heard is, I can't understand it. How many of you have read the Bible, especially the Old Testament, and have read something like and said, what? Anybody? Yeah, like I have. Oh yeah, you get it. And you're like, where? Is this a different God than the New Testament God? What, what's happening here? We felt like we needed to do a series that would reinvigorate and help us move toward especially the Old Testament. But let me give you some scary statistics about our Bibles. Barna's recent study shows that about 88% of households own a Bible. Actually, I think it's 88% of households uh, have 3.4 Bibles in their homes. I don't know what that .4 Bible looks like. Um, it's the one that somebody colored in and ripped out the pages. But most of our world today uh, has access to a Bible, whether digitally or whether hard copy. Now, that's not, that is not the majority of our world history. It is only in the last you know, hundreds of years that we've had the chance to have a, a written Bible in our possession and we could literally download. Do you recognize in today's culture, you could be checking the Greek and Hebrew language as I'm speaking, right? Probably put an earbud in and listen to a talk that's very similar to this one. I mean, you could pretty much get anything you want today that any teacher's teaching you, no matter what denomination. You have access to that. But look at this. Only 37% read it at least once a week. Now, Pew Poll came out with this whole survey. I wrote an article about this, about the, you know, a lot of people are leaving their affiliation to the church. Can, can I make an observation of why? When faith is based on sitting in chairs once a week and is not applied to the life, when there is no Monday through Saturday of a devotion, Psalms 1, right, the writer says, it's, it's meditating day and night. It's like a tree planted by springs of water. It's, it's I, am, I am hungry to unpack the mysteries that God has written in this book. And when we just on Sundays play church, play Christian, it doesn't make sense to the world. It's actually empty. And the scriptures teach us about this, but our culture more and more are realizing most people are not reading their Bibles. In fact, today, 56% believe it's inspired. That means almost half, almost half of the people that have Bibles don't believe 
that God breathed and inspired authors to write this book and that it is a holy book, that it is error-free in its, in its message to us. Most now today have the conversation of, well, it's another helpful spiritual writing. Do you realize the Bible, our Bibles, are the most verifiable written religious book there is? Verifiable, I mean archaeology, secular writings, historical. You can go down the list, and it's shocking to me that people will claim Christ, whether, whether with their mouth or their lives saying, I love Jesus, but aren't reading the story about Jesus. And so we wanted to talk about that, and so this series is called Revealed. The crown, meaning it's about Jesus Christ, and we want you to go back and look at the Old Testament. The Old Testament is filled with stories that are pointing right to Jesus. You see, the Old Testament isn't just a series of writings, and all of a sudden God got to Matthew and said, woof, this has been a mess. Uh, This whole Old Testament thing was a failed experiment. Okay, i got to send Jesus. That is not it at all. And we want to revive that in you. And so we want to do three main kind of goals we have for you this series. First, we want to cultivate a love for the story. We want to cultivate a love for the story of God that wrote this for you. It's not an instruction manual. It is, it's a story that God has, has inspired and written, and you get a chance to read it, to know it, to unpack it, to look at it. We want to cultivate that for you, this love for the truth. We also want to connect you, though, and not just connect you to the book itself and to the story, but help you connect to all of the stories that make up one big story that point right to Jesus. You would be hard to find any story in the Old Testament that doesn't have either a prophetic or a very metaphorical picture of pointing you right to Jesus. The stories are in line with God shaping a, 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 a story and, and an ending that's coming one day and the Bible gives us this, this full story and so God didn't leave us here of saying I'm gonna, I'm gonna have Pastors and priests start just to get up and talk about me and there's no basis for that. Friends, we, we, our basis is this. Our basis is this story in this book and its connectedness to Jesus. Now there's two great texts and I'm gonna have you turn to Luke chapter 24 and I promised you I'd give you uh, uh, um, a page number, so 736. Uh, actually, no, 738, 738. Page 738 is a story of Jesus. Uh, that's 738 if you have one of these. If you have another Bible, you're in trouble. I'm just, not that it's a bad Bible, I'm just saying I, I can't help you with that page number. I'm not prophetic that way. Um, in, in Luke chapter 24, Jesus is now reappearing, he's resurrected, he's been crucified, he's, he's risen again, and he's appearing to people. Now there's two disciples on the road to Emmaus. This is now on the same day, verse 13. Two of them, disciples, were uh, going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all that had happened. And so they're talking about this stuff that happened where this one they followed, Jesus, was crucified and 
They're just, they're confused. And so Jesus comes up alongside of him, it says, and he did not, they didn't recognize him. And it says in verse 17, he asks them, Jesus says, what are you discussing as you walk along? Their faces stood, they stood still and their faces downcast. Could you just imagine the scene? They stop. Ah. And they start to say, are you the only one that wasn't around Jerusalem? Haven't, didn't you get the news? You know, didn't you get the Jerusalem Gazette? I mean, come on, it's been everywhere, right? About what's gone on in our city, in our world. And so they're just downcast and they're confused. And he says, well, what things? And so they start to talk about Jesus and what happened. And look what he says in verse 25. He says to them, how foolish you are, how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Now, there's an exclamation point there. Do you notice what that means? <laughs> Jesus is probably yelling at them. This is, so you do have permission sometimes as parents to yell. I'm just going to tell you, you could do that sometimes. Jesus is saying, how foolish are you? What is he saying? He's saying, didn't you get it? He's saying, did not the Messiah have to suffer all these things to enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explains to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. I need to tell you that the Old Testament is loaded with signs that are pointing straight to Jesus. Some prophetic, some through story that's parallel to what Jesus is going to go through, and they're powerful pictures and reminders that God is not trying to fix things that screwed up. He is writing a story. He is unfolding a plan that has been all the way since the beginning. Now, Acts chapter 8 is, is the next text, and that's in page 764. Now, this is a disciple named Philip, and Philip uh, is going to be asked by an angel of the Lord to go to, uh, down um, from Jerusalem to Gaza. Isn't that interesting? Down to Gaza, probably by the Gaza Strip area. And so the Spirit tells him to go stand by this chariot. This chariot, in verse 30, Philip runs up to this chariot, and there's an Ethiopian eunuch there. And he's reading the prophet Isaiah, the Old Testament, right? He says, do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked. And he says, how can I? Unless someone explains it to me. So he invites Philip to come sit with him. How many of you felt like, I just need someone to explain what I just read? I, I feel that. Friends, please don't think that I can lock myself into an office and like this glowing beam from heaven comes down and illumination happens in my office. I read and resource more things you would not believe how messy an office can get really quick with just resourcing, trying to learn. Someone studied this and, and it's helping, getting help to understand it. He says, how can I? Come sit with me. So Philip sits with him and starts to unpack this scripture and then it says in verse 34, then the eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Isn't this a great moment? A great moment for Philip, our, our theme verse as a church is Colossians 4, 2 through 6. It says, devote yourself to prayer is the first part. Why? Because it says, pray for an opportunity to speak forth the mystery of Christ. Do you guys, do you guys realize that, that God's method of evangelism 
isn't street signs, isn't billboards, it's not t-shirts, it's not jewelry. It's not pointing at a podium as an athlete or an actor or a musician saying, I want to thank God. It's hearing from your mouth the mystery, the story and the mystery that has impacted your life. Philip says he began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about who? Jesus. Friends, this book is loaded with street signs all the way through the Old Testament pointing to Jesus. It is for that reason we not only want to cultivate a love for this story, connect all these stories so that you understand they're connected to Jesus, but last, we want to charge you. Not credit card charge you, but the word also means to assign the responsibility. I can't do that for you, is to apply it to your life and to share the story. To, to share the story. Uh, one of my journeys to, to Africa, I've been there a few times, but one was in the slums of Kenya in Nairobi and in, in Kalangwari. And I remember walking through the slums and getting to meet a barber who was bald. Just know that if you have a barber that's bald, probably not a good idea. But his name was Kokati and he was a new believer. And he invited me at his barber shop in this slum, mud floor, one set of trimmers, everything wrong about it from a sanitary. Don't think germ germaphobes in the room are really disturbed. Lots of reasons why you should. But he says, I have a Bible study. Will you come? And so I sat down, and it was just he and I. And I said, Kokati, where is everybody? He says, oh, they'll come. Now, they weren't invited, but he knew that during that time, people would poke their head in trying to sell things to him. And he would say, why don't you come sit down? And they would sit down. The next thing, we had 15 people in there. And I said, Kokati, where's your Bible? What are you going to teach? He goes, oh, I don't have a Bible. And he pulled out a piece, a napkin. And he had written a verse from the Sunday. And that's what he did every week. And he would teach. He would teach one verse. And at the end of the about an hour and a half Bible study, he asked if anyone wanted to know more about this Jesus and wanted to surrender their life to Christ, two boys, bam, dropped to the ground. Friends, it's not enough just to apply the truth, but you gotta share the truth. You share the story. And we could go around here and talk about application, right? It's the story of the pastor that every week would teach the same passage over and over. Congregates came to him very concerned. Pastor, are you, are you, have you lost your mind because you're teaching the same passage every week? Are, are you too busy and just run out of time and just redo the same message? This is not good. They were concerned. He said, oh, no. Until you start applying the things I'm teaching, we'll just keep teaching the same thing over. In the years that I've done ministry, do you realize we talk almost every year about some of the same things? What is it about us? We have our Bibles. We know it's an amazing story. We know it has the power to change our lives but we don't apply it. You gotta apply, you gotta share it. This is our goal for our series. Second Timothy says 3, uh, 3.16 and 17, all scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, it's useful for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This story can change your life. Not can, it will. This story 
if you begin to meditate on it day and night, if you begin to drink it in, the Hebrew culture of the idea of this, they would train young boys and young girls that it's like honey on the scrolls dripping, that you would lick it up and you would ingest it. So they saw that the ruah, the breath of God, that, that logos of God was, was something for them to take in. And friends, this doesn't mean your life goes perfect. Because life is brutal and you're going to have a lot of stuff going on in your life and you're still going to have sickness and pain relationally and hurt and all those things. But you have a foundation and you know you are a small story in the bigger story. You have a whole sense of peace. All scripture. Some of you are struggling in this room. Most of you in this room came unhappy and unfulfilled, guilt or ashamed. Very few of you come happy and like, whoa, Jesus is awesome. Most of us are just beat up from life. The scripture promises. It promises healing. It promises hope. It promises fulfillment. It promises direction. It promises a sense of guidance. It promises life. We wanted to inspire you this 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 uh, year, and we know that uh, these are teenage daredevils, or as I like to rename, teenage idiots, because um, they, no, they have no safety. Some of you, there's no barf bags in the room, so please close your eyes if you're motion sickness. Um, this is one of the tallest buildings in the world in Hong Kong. I don't know how they got allowed to do this, but no safety stuff, and they're, they're just, now, if you look at this, Look at the, um, how many hundreds of buildings and streets. This is the selfie he's going to take at the very top of the spire. When you read your Bible, you may open up a text and go, I'm going to read this in the New Testament, and then I'm going to jump over here. And every week we teach different passages. It's like being in a building in a major city of not getting perspective about what's going on. Can you imagine the view that very few have probably ever seen? They get a spance and a view of Hong Kong that no one else can take in. They get it. They see streets connected and how buildings are connected and the scope of all that. Friends, your Bibles are a large story. Hundreds of stories. But all make up one big story. It is because of this that we are asking for this series for you to be very committed. And as I said, in your cabins at home, uh, in your cabins and gathering your family together to watch this, you can watch it archived. You're not far from Wi-Fi. Whatever it is, please make that commitment. It's 10 weeks. Today we go through the fall. We're going to go through the flood, the rescuer and Joseph, the Exodus, Passover, Abraham and Isaac, the bronze snake, the law, the shepherd, the redeemer, the walls, Nehemiah. There are so many more stories, but 10 weeks of stories that point right to Jesus. They point right to Jesus. Your, your Old Testament is not a mistake. It's not a God do-over. And we want you to see that and be very committed to that. So we're going to dive in now to this story, and I just I, I want to go into the fall this morning and set context, and we'll do that quickly, but really it's, it's not overly complex, but I want, to, I want to set the stage for you. It is a very common story. There is some theologians and writers that will argue 
that whether you know God or not, because of how God's created us, he has created a desire for us to write stories, produce movies, write stories, and in that, we tend to write some of the same stories over and over and over. Let me give you one that you've heard the theme before. It's the parents that have that teen. And the parents are going to go away for the weekend, right? And they want to entrust their teen. And so teens are going to get beat up a little bit here, but don't worry, I'll come back. It's, it's, they're going to leave the, him for the, for the weekend. Now it's a guy teen. Sorry, guys, I just really beat you up, but... Now, mom's going to stock the fridge and make sure that there's no problems with food. Dad's going to leave some extra cash for going out and hanging out with friends. They're going to entrust him with freedom. They're going to express their love to him by trusting and entrusting him. You know the story, right? Do I even have to say it? It's countless times we see this, that the teen is told, oh, but... We ask you to honor one boundary, just one. You already know the problem, right? Anytime you do that, you know, it's your children. You can do anything else, just don't touch the cookies, right? So they leave, and you know what's going to happen. They could have locked everything up. They could have locked it up and said, you don't have a choice. We're going we're to restrict you. And maybe the parent's expression, the greatest expression of love and trust was the freedom to choose. The parents leave, and you know the story. What does the teen choose? And you know how that begins to unfold in a movie or a written story that the parents are going to come home, and it's the teen saying, oh my gosh, I've got to fix the house because it's a disaster, right? Because of the party they had. Or it's Ferris Bueller's day off, the car I was never supposed to drive out of the garage, right? You guys, knowing your age there, we all watch that. Yeah, it's, we see that, but friends, can I tell you, the story hasn't changed. We keep playing that story out. Because you're going to see now in the story of creation in the fall, that this story that God has written we see Adam and Eve entrusted with everything they could ever need and yet asked to, to just abide by one boundary, one. And I want to talk about this. I want to give us this, but I want you to understand the, the makings of a story. There's some basics. There's five basic components to story that are critical for you to understand in the whole of the Bible. Now, some of you taking notes probably want to take this down, but quickly, you could do this with any any movie or story, first there's got to be characters, three basic characters, the Godhead, God the Father, God the, God the, why didn't I put those as three, because they're one, and it wouldn't be theologically correct to put three different names, so it is God, the Godhead is a major character, obviously, in the whole story of the Bible, Satan, Lucifer, he's another one, and then all of humanity, all of us. Where's the setting? Heaven and earth. Uh, there's not some strange parallel universe somewhere else. Uh, it's, it's heaven and earth, what God's creation is. The plot? The plot is God, God's reconciliation with humanity, with his creation. Trying to get back. Trying to create a way for them to be restored. The whole of the Bible could be summarized in four basic words. Creation, Fall, 
redemption, reconciliation, or restoration. Four basic words, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. The conflict, there's really a couple different themes, but I'll give you three of them that are, are the primary. There's a God versus Satan. There is a man versus sin, and Jesus versus sin. And might I just remind you, as a pastor here at the church, it is the battle I still fight, because I'm that teen. I'm, I'm no different than anybody else in this room. I can end up for a week and go, ah, oh, my battle with sin. Why, why is it I could still choose that? Out of all the spiritual things I get to go do, the reading and, and the praying and find myself still rebellious. Last is the resolution. It's God's reward for those who received his gift of grace, and we know that's Jesus. So to, to look at our text this morning, just in review, Genesis 1 is, says, in the beginning, God created. We are a church that believes, based on the scripture, that in the beginning, God created the earth. There is, there's no option for us in that. How that happened, we don't know, but we know that he created all things. If you look at verse 26 there, now we see the first street sign to the Trinity, let us make mankind. When he says let us, he's not talking to trees. He's not talking to aliens in parallel universes. He is talking about the Godhead. Let us, Father, Son, and Spirit. And he creates mankind in their likeness. In Genesis 2, it says now in verse 8, it says he plants a garden. He creates a place, and it's called the Garden of Eden, and he puts man um, in this garden, and he says he made all kinds of trees grow out from that that were pleasing, good for food, perfect place, two trees. Most people lose this. Two trees, one tree of life. The tree would provide a sense of immortality, but then it says a tree of knowledge of good and evil. And just as a side note, isn't it interesting that this tree was not like a poison apple? I had said like, Beauty and the Beast and got it wrong and everybody corrected me on that. Sleeping Beauty, right? It's not it didn't poison them. What did it do? Given the opportunity to see a choice between good and evil, this morning we must recognize and validate that we at some point would rebel. God knew that given this love gift and, and all the different uh, trees and food and provision, that one boundary that he could have locked up and kept away had to be their choice. We would choose evil. We still do today. As Christians, we still choose sin. Now, we're made saint-like not because of works, but because God has sent Jesus. That's the only way that makes me in right standing with God. But I get this chance every day, don't we, to choose to choose good or evil, it's this knowledge of having that choice that destroys Adam and Eve. The Lord takes man, puts him in the garden to take care of it, and he says, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. When you eat of it, you will certainly die. And we know that the death comes. It says he gave, makes a, a, a woman out of man, and it's this poem, this beautiful poem, and that's not our focus this morning, but 
it talks about this idea of marriage of, of a man and a woman. And we believe in that design and that, that picture of marriage and design. And we just, we just know in our culture today, it's, it's a struggle to hold on to that. But that's what we know the truth is. And it says, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Now 25 says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. This was not just a physical, like, because they're naked and they were fine. This is a spiritual metaphor of them having no secrets. Them having, having no shame. Church, when we find ourselves in sin quickly, we find ourselves what? Protecting our shame and guilt. Maybe protecting out of resentment and resistance and anger. Maybe even pointing back at this book. Oh, this book, I don't trust it. It's not right. It's not culturally relevant. It doesn't fit for today. However it is, they felt no shame. But when we are in sin and we choose rebellion, it's back to the teen story, right? Oh, crud, mom and dad are coming home. I better cover up. Look what happens here. Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that God had made. Who is the serpent? This is our introduction to Satan. Now I don't have time this morning to give you a picture of all the texts, and maybe we'll pick up on this sometime, but this is the first introduction to evil, but you will find, can I give you homework? Ezekiel 28, read it. I'll just give you a couple. It says, you were anointed as the guardian cherub, for so I ordain you. This is God talking through the prophet Ezekiel about Lucifer, Satan. You're on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. It goes on to talk about how he wanted to take God's place. Isaiah will talk about you fallen from heaven, you morning star. So the evil one, Satan, wants to, wants to create a tribe, a tribe of rebellious, sinful, broken people. And what does the scripture say? This world is not about flesh and blood, Ephesians says. It's about the rulers, the principalities, the, the dark world that we don't have any idea of what the battle of go, what's going on around us. And so she is tempted, Eve is tempted, it says, uh, by the serpent. And she's brought, drawn into a conversation by this serpent and he says, oh, you won't die. You won't die. Look at this text. It says, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. Isn't that our choice to sin? Isn't the teen's choice to say, how dare you say I can't do something? But isn't that us too? I know that's for me. When I make the choice to do something that I, I know is clearly outside of God's plan, it could be pride, it could be not wanting to forgive somebody, hanging on to bitterness, whatever it is, it's my choice to say, God, I don't think you deserve to be on the throne of my life. I don't see this is being rule in my life. I'm going to choose something else. So it says that when they ate, the, the eyes of both of them in verse 7 were opened and they realized they were both naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings from themselves. When we sin, we're, we're ashamed. So many people come here on a Sunday hiding. And it's so sad because the longing I have in my soul is for us to be like an AA group, 
I remember I visited an AA group, and you know what I was so worried about when I walked in? I was visiting. Not because I had a problem, because I was assigned to the responsibility of the class. And I can remember feeling going, oh, crud, wait, wait. I'm just here visiting everyone. I'm not an alcoholic, right? How many of us play that game here walking into church on Sunday morning? Oh, no, I'm not here because I'm in sin or broken or anything. I'm here, yay, God. I'm loving the God thing. It's awesome. I think to be able to stand up, I long for a place that we can be honest. But they realize they were naked, and so what they do, they first cover relationally with one another. They're ashamed of one another. And that's what we do. We start to separate ourselves. Friends, I can tell you 99% of the people that disconnect from a local church and say they don't do church anymore in their individualized faith is almost 90, almost 100%, they're shamed. There's something in them that's sinful that they've walked away. It could be pride, it could be something. Because who wants to be exposed in front of their peers? I don't. It says that they hid from God. Not only do we hide from one another, we begin to hide from God. This is what sin will do. And then it says that God says, I, or he says, I heard you in the garden, I was afraid because I was naked. And God says, who told you you were naked? Where did you get the information about shame and guilt and sin? Because that's really the story. The story of the fall is that the plot begins because we see why the power of Jesus coming one day will be so profound. We failed the test. We failed the test. Given a lush a garden that has everything we could ever want to live forever, one boundary we crossed, and metaphorically, we do it still today. Some would say, well, just put me in the garden. I'd be good. No, you wouldn't. Sin. Sin. It's rebellion from God. It's a choice to walk away from him. Corinthians says this, uh, verse 45 in chapter 15. So it is written, this is Paul saying this, the first Adam became a living being. So we have Adam that becomes a living being and he is, he is in paradise and has everything he could want. He's not hungry, he's not in need, he's in perfect community and yet the test comes and he fails and paradise is lost. The last Adam, who is that? It's Jesus. I could give you verse after verse from Romans, the, the New Testament saying this Adam that came after the pattern of Adam in the, in the Old Testament, this new Adam that would sustain the temptation and the test. Matthew 4, just turn to Matthew 4 quickly with me. Matthew 4 gives us this picture. And it's Jesus now as he's beginning his ministry. And it's in Matthew 4, chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Jesus has just been baptized, and he's, we're going to get to that in a minute, but He's just been baptized, and he is now going to enter into and not redo, but fulfill what Adam and Eve could not. It says that he, then Jesus, verse 1, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and after fasting 40 days, 
Adam and Eve had no hunger. Jesus hadn't eaten in 40 days. They were in a garden. Jesus, Jesus is in a wilderness. There's no food. The devil came in a serpent and tricked Eve. The devil just showed up right in front of Jesus. And it says the tempter came to him and three times tempts Jesus for power, for food, for protection. Verse 10, Jesus says to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God to serve him only. Then the devil left him. Angels came and attended him. The Adam story and Adam and Eve of falling in the garden points straight to a savior, Jesus, God's son, who would be in another place. Another place called a wilderness and he will get it right. He will be sinless. He will sustain the testing and the tempting. He will choose obedience and surrender to the Father. That, that's the story of Scripture. That's the story of just these two key points because now we see the New Testament and Jesus calling, inviting everybody in. I've paid the price. I've repaved the way back to paradise. Psalms 51, David. I love in 51, he says this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. Blot out my transgression. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from sin. Listen to this, verse 3, Psalms 51. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justify when you judge me. Surely I was sinful at birth and sinful from the time of my mother's conception of me. The reality is we're born in this way of Adam and Eve and sinful. And so the response this morning is it points straight to Jesus repaving a way for us to be back to paradise. We've got to, we've got to respond somehow. First is we've got to recognize that we're sinful. We can't play the dress-up and the fig leaf game that we're all perfect. We, we choose wrong. And, and the scripture talks about not just recognizing your sin, but it actually talks about sharing that with one another. And so that's odd for some, because aren't you supposed to go to a confessional and a priest? But the scripture says in James, the half-brother of Jesus says, confess that to one another. The reason that's so beautiful is because now, me and my brother, no matter if we know each other or not, we're in the same plane. We're both rebellious. We're both broken. We both need a savior. Isn't that great? But we play that game. First is to recognize your sin. Next is repent of it. Repentance basically means to turn away. And so there's a big conversation today about a fella asked me, you know, I've been divorced a couple times. Does it mean I'm living in sin? And, and I said, no. God says, go and sin no longer. The difference is Jesus will talk about in Matthew if you practice sin. If you say with arrogance, nope, I don't believe that's wrong. I'm going to move away from God's design of me, and I'm going to live in rebellion. If you don't know what rebellion is, then you've probably got to go back into where that's established and what God wants. But to repent means to move away from it. 
And friends, it's not for me to point at anyone in this room. What I'm supposed to do is recognize my own sin, repent for my own sin. And if I see my brother driving on the wrong side of the road spiritually, isn't it my responsibility in love to go, oh man, no. You're on the wrong side of the road. And what our culture says is, oh no, be tolerant of his driving on the wrong side of the road. And the scripture says that's not love. Love would be, oh brother, God wants the best of, for you. That's hard in the faith, isn't it? We don't like that exposure. Recognize, repent, and then respond to God. How do we respond to God? Some of you don't read your Bible. And may I just charge you as a church, take as many Bibles from this place as you need to. It's not stealing. They're yours. And read it. If you need one to study, a study guide, ask some help from pastors or staff here. Get help. Begin to sink your life into reading the story. If you want to grow in your faith this year, this summer, if you want to be different, if you want to be a different man, a different woman, a different husband, brother, sister, friend, whatever it is, you got to begin to dive into it. I know my soul is so much healthier when I read. Another response is some of you don't know God and there's not a hunger. It's really to come to him, to surrender your life to him. That may be your response. I don't even have a hunger, to, but I, I want something different, and I'm beginning to understand this, this Jesus has a chance for me. Maybe that's your call. And this morning, I love about our church is we've just committed to offering opportunities for you to respond, and this morning, we get baptism. The beauty part of baptism, the beautiful part, and elders, you can come up, and band's going to come out, and we do this here because this is the greatest expression of of the story hitting a life because they recognize their sin. They repent from it and know they got to receive Christ. And then as the eunuch would say to Philip, when the scriptures were fully unpacked for him and he said, there's water, can I be baptized? Friends, this morning, you might have been baptized as an infant and does not discount that. But the scripture says that you make a conscious choice to make evident to friends and family and to the world that I am proclaiming that my old, sinful, rebellious, first Adam way is dying with Christ, and I am embracing the new Adam, Jesus Christ, who will change my life. Friends, some of you this morning are signed up for baptism. Probably most of you aren't, and that's all right. All we ask that if this morning your expression, your response to God is that you come forward and get baptized. You need to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and recognize this doesn't cleanse you. There's enough chlorine in this water probably to cleanse a lot of things, but uh, it is a picture of you dying with Christ and saying, I choose Jesus. And so friends, I want to pray for us. We do that in a celebration way, and so we're, some of us are standing, whatever. We'll celebrate that together as we sing, Father, Lay heavy on hearts this morning a response to your gift of love in Jesus and a response and obedience to baptism. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Will you sing with us together and celebrate this gift of baptism?